Dr. Lucy Burns is a medical doctor who runs a very busy practice. She also has a huge passion for health, particularly when it comes to obesity medicine in helping people go from overweight and overwhelmed to being in control and in full health. One of the major components for thriving health is, of course, mindset, which is one of the topics that I also love to chat about. So today, Dr. Lucy and I focus our chat around business burnout and mindset. We go deep into a conversation about burnout prevention self-care and boundaries. And we untangle the relationship that can sometimes exist between women and their businesses, which interestingly is closely related to the tangled relationship women often have with food and health. Dr. Lucy lives on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria, Australia with her husband and two daughters. They have a small acreage with three horses, a miniature cow, a goat, three dogs, four cats, three frogs, and a bearded dragon. She is a sought-after public speaker and has spoken at multiple conferences around the world, as well as I mentioned, her practice is booked out months and months in advance. And so along with her colleague, Dr. Mary Barson, they have formed Real Life Medicine. They run successful online programs that address both the physiological and the psychological causes of overweight and obesity. So I could have today continued our chat for hours. And I think I might have to get Lucy back on the podcast again in the future because as you'll hear, she is an absolute powerhouse of information. Hello, I'm Donna Han, a business coach and an online course creator. And this is the She's in Business podcast. You can think of me as your business bestie who's a few steps ahead of where you are right now. As a mum fueled with ambition and determination, I've created and sold three businesses. I've learnt the lessons, made mistakes, and I understand the daily juggle and the hustle. I also know what it's like when relationships fray and burnout taps you on the shoulder. That was my world until I reshaped and transformed the way I ran my six-figure business. Today, I help women to transform their businesses and go from being the overwhelmed entrepreneur to becoming the thriving entrepreneur, feeling energized, empowered, and fulfilled within their business lifestyle. I want to inspire your business journey and help you to stop spinning your wheels because I want you to burn bright instead of burning out. And I'll invite other entrepreneurs to share their real life stories too because I want you to know that you're not alone. You can be the savvy entrepreneur that you are born to be and enjoy the freedom to do the things and be present with the people that mean the most to you. So if you're ready to rise to the next level and build a business by design, this is the She's in Business podcast for mums who are made for more. Welcome to the She's in Business podcast. I'm your host, Donna Han, and I am so thrilled today to be sharing the mic with Dr. Lucy Burns. So welcome to the podcast, Lucy. Thanks so much, Donna. I'm so happy to be here. So I'm excited too, because I invited you onto the podcast after reading a, I guess it's like a Facebook blog article type of thing that you put together where you wrote about business burnout. And I'm really looking forward to digging into that topic with you today and learning and understanding more from the medical side of burnout and sharing that with the ladies that listen. 
But before we jump in, I always invite my guests to share their business journey thus far. And the reason that I do this is because this podcast is for mums in business who really want to establish that healthy work-life blend and move away from feeling exhausted and overwhelmed and on that path to burnout to thriving as a business owner. But there's so many different paths that we take in establishing a successful business and juggling a family and having time for self-care and all of those things. And so I always invite my guests to tell us a little bit about what their business journey has been like, because as you may have experienced, I know I certainly have, there's been points where it's felt kind of lonely and I felt like I've been going on this path. Does anybody else feel like this? All those kinds of things. And so in addition to being a fabulous doctor, I know that you're a mum yourself and a business owner. So would you mind sharing your business journey with us thus far? Absolutely. So I think, so Real Life Medicine, which is our business name, I formed with another beautiful doctor called Mary Barson. We probably spent about six months coming to talking, thinking about what we're going to do, the vision, the plan. And our mission is really to be able to help mainly women, but not only women, but mainly women who are, as our one of our mottos is overweight and overwhelmed, return to being in control and full of health. And part of the reason for this is that for women, we are the caregivers. We are the linchpin of the family. We are giving, 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 and we neglect our own needs. And we will use tools that we have perhaps been taught or modelled to soothe that in the end can cause us to gain weight and then tip into metabolic ill health. And I guess with the rising case of obesity in Australia and its complications, I was seeing women in the, in my clinic who maybe in their 50s. Now, you know, the, the kids have grown up, you know, maybe their late 50s, they're ready to sort of look at retirement and then they've got lots of chronic diseases that are going to really prevent them living their best life. So we then, Mary and I, decided to go, Radio. well, what can we do? What can we do to help? And we came up with our various programs, which are totally holistic because like many of us, we've been stuck in diet land and listening to advice on meal plans and, and really without taking that root cause of learning how to care for yourself as a woman, as a mum. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true, isn't it? Because we do, we fall into that trap of neglecting ourselves and you're caring for everybody else. And then you throw a business into the mixes into that as well. And yeah, I can relate to that 100%. Yeah. So let's talk about the symptoms of burnout. And as you're a practicing GP as well, but in in the weight loss, obesity specialist kind of area, is that right? Yeah. I mean, I still do some general practice, like normal general practice. But yeah, my passion is really, it's lifestyle medicine is the the phrase that we use it. And it's really helping people not just prevent chronic disease, but treating chronic disease with various lifestyle measures, one of which is nutrition, but also stress management, sleep, um, gut health, all of the things that we need to do that our modern life makes difficult for us. So do you see in your practice that business burnout is a common thing or have you seen it in the last few years that it's growing? You're seeing more cases coming through? Yeah. And look, it might be business burnout, but it's also just life burnout. I think um, it's rife in the health um, sphere at the moment, obviously, with the pandemic has made huge impact on healthcare workers' demands. But also it's in every kind of caring industry. So nursing, teaching, even a, a police ambulance, those sorts of things, anything where people are giving, so social work. I think as 
mums in business. That's what we do. We often in service-based industries where we're giving and then trying to just juggle the who you give your energy to when we feel like we're giving it to everybody, but also giving it to nobody. Yeah, absolutely. So can you talk us through what is the clinical description of burnout and what are the signs that we should be looking for or that you look for when someone comes into your practice that presents in that way? Yeah. So burnout's now a psychiatric definition and there is ICD-9, which is our fancy sort of psychiatric book that houses all the definitions of various mental health conditions and burnout is now acknowledged in that. And that's been quite recent, hasn't it? Like it's a, is it 2019 or something like that? I mean, I guess in the past, you know, people called it stress, overwhelm, or in fact, what a lot of people did was just felt that they just weren't coping. And, you know, the, the talk then became where the person experiencing it just felt weak and hopeless, which just then further contributed. Um, so, I mean, I guess that it's very core burnout. It's where you, the, you know, your demands exceed your capacity and there's multiple reasons for that. You know, maybe demands are just too much for anybody at capacity. You know, there's things that happen in our lives that reduce our capacity. And so it's really, it's not something, I know a lot of people feel ashamed of it, that they're just not strong. And it's nothing to do with that. It's really about the idea that you can't run a car if you haven't got any petrol in the tank. Mm -hmm. It's sort of that simple at its core, but there's various signs to look for. So I guess the clinical signs are this, for some people, they have this fear of, or this sense of failure and self-doubt, constantly second-guessing themselves. And what they will often do is do more to prove that they're, they're okay. So we then have people that feel trapped defeated and helpless. And the being trapped one, I mean, it's so common where people feel like they've got, particularly if they've got expenses, they may be in a job and it may be business or it may be, as I said, teaching, nursing, any, and they just can't see their way out of it because they feel stuck with their commitments to other things. People feel isolated and they feel like they're the only one in the world, like they're totally alone. Nobody else will understand is often their thing and shame that comes with it because it's like, I'm the only loser that feels like this, which is so far from the truth, but our little brains love putting us down sometimes. People, again, in caring industries, people can develop something called compassion fatigue. And it's so distressing because most people enter a job, a business, because they want to help somebody else. And that's one of their core values. And then they get to the point where they don't care about the other person. Like they've just wish they'd go away. Like that becomes your thought. I just wish people would stop asking me. So you lose your compassion for other people's problems and issues. And that's very distressing. People, you know, they then, you can imagine working in this, like you lose your motivation. You're thinking, where's my joy? This is no, yes, not absolutely. what I signed up for. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and then again, we can kind of gaslight ourselves because we start minimizing our achievements. And we start, you know, there's no sense of accomplishment. We feel like we're constantly on this treadmill where we just feel like there is always more to do and we just do something and then get on to the next task without ever stopping to acknowledge our wins. Our brain just, you know, and again, it's part of a human brain. They, they are sort of geared towards looking the negative aspects of life and that's normal and it was designed to keep us safe from predators. But in this day and age, we're often use that default way of thinking just causes us more harm and distress. And 
to everything that you've just described, I have, there's been moments throughout my business journey where I have felt those things. And as you said, you know, like that mean voice in your head and you feel weak and you feel trapped and you feel kind of defeated and isolated and the shame in that because you're like, oh, I can't, who do I talk to about this? Like then it's like admitting that I'm weak and I can't do this and I'm not made for this. And so I have experienced that myself and I've seen it in other business owners too. And then the the people that I work with where once you open that up and you start to have the conversations around that, you realize that you're not alone. You've realized that so many other people go through that, those same sorts of feelings and thoughts as well. I'm so glad that you voiced that today. And one of the things that I'd love to be able to do more of, and this is part of why the She's in Business podcast you know, was created, is to normalize these things. Because once we can normalize it, and then we can reach out and get whatever help it is that we need to move through that, because it is like a... I like to describe it as more of a tunnel than a hole, that we've got to move through it and come out the other side of that. And every time that we do, we'll get stronger and we'll build new skills to be able to cope with that as time goes on. And one of the things that I totally agree with you is those wins. Like we need to celebrate those wins as often as possible. And sometimes that can take the reminding from someone else, which is like why business groups are so great. Um, You know, mums groups and all of that kind of stuff, because you have the opportunity to share your wins and to build up our confidence so that the next time we're trying something which is perhaps stretching our capabilities and taking us into the next level of whatever it is that we're doing, we've got that confidence in knowing, well, I did this other thing. And at the beginning of that other thing, I also felt this way, but I made it through. And here I am bigger and stronger than I was before. Absolutely. I think um, it's tricky in life. Like we will often compare ourselves, comparison artists. I'm sure you've spoken to your peeps about that because we do. We look around and we look and we go, they're killing it and I'm, I'm not doing anything. Or they've got more people, more followers, more money, more whatever, more of everything. And I've got nothing. Our brain goes into that black and white thinking. And it just goes, they've got everything, I've got nothing, and I'm useless and they're amazing. And, you know, if we can take a step back and just listen to our thoughts and realize that thoughts are actually just a connection between two nerve cells in our brain, that's all they are. Two nerve cells make a path. If we think those thoughts a lot, then the path is pretty well worn. We have our brains so amazing that we have the ability to change the thoughts. We can change those pathways. Requires a little bit of work, but we can change them. But you can't change them if you don't even know they're there. The idea of either, you know, if you can self-reflect, if you can reflect on your own thoughts, you know, and some people do it with journaling. Um, some some people do it with counselling. Some people see a business coach. People work with people like you, Donna, to be able to get out of their head to have some a fresh pair of eyes look at their thoughts and go, you know what, that, that thought that you keep thinking that you're not good enough or that you're not smart enough or that you're not doing enough, I don't believe that thought. And then only when you can challenge them or first of all, know they're there and then challenge them and then change them, can you go, okay, I can probably do this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, that's why with the, the way that I um, create my programs is And like you were saying before too, it's that holistic approach to it in that you need to have self-care and you also need to have the business skills to to run your business and upskill in that way. 
when we're talking about this sort of stuff and we're in that space of feeling overwhelmed and stressed and we know that we're on that path to burnout, if you don't create some space for self-care, then that you're going to continue going down that spiral. I also read some really great stuff that you had on your Facebook page as well about self-care. I think you were doing a retreat or something and there was... Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like back in January, um, there was so much good stuff in there about self-care. And I think some of this stuff is wrapped up in self-worth as well in like what you were saying in that maybe there's this moment of vulnerability where we realize, okay, I'm not kind of coping right now. And instead of taking a pause and taking a step back and doing that self-reflection, we just throw ourselves more and more and more into it to prove our self-worth that, no, I actually can do this. But it's almost like you've got to put the brakes on, hey, and go, no, stop. I've got to pause and reflect here, figure out what's going on. Like you said, like change that neuropathway to speak to ourselves in a different manner with self-love and self-care. Can you share more about the techniques that you teach around self-care and self-worth? Because it ties a lot into, I'm sure, weight control and management in that way too, hey? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, in fact, we've just released a blog post today on this topic, which is working out the difference between self-care and self-soothing. So when we're distressed, we will often try and soothe. And some of those soothing techniques constitute self-care and some of them are just soothing, which when done in excess can become self-harm. And it's really tricky because there's, there's mixed messaging out there from either particularly so, you know, some influences, but also industry. So industry would love you to be thinking that chocolate is self-care, that eating chocolate is self-care. They would love you to be thinking that having a glass of wine at the end of the day of work is, you know, taking time to pause and is part of self-care. And whilst there's nothing wrong with any of those, it's really important to recognize that they're soothing. They may help with some stress but they have the potential to then become problematic later on. And I guess that's where I see a lot of people in that they've used self-soothing techniques to emotionally regulate. And again, where we've been taught this from when we were born and it's no one's fault, but it needs to be, we need to untangle those two because otherwise people do this. I'm looking after myself, I'm going home and I'm going to have three donuts and that's just not self-care. Mm-hmm. And doctors are actually terrible at self-care. We're terrible at it because we're givers. We give all the time. We're always wanting to help people. We have a lot of demands like lots of people and we want to solve problems for others. And at the end of the day, we're often exhausted. There's no energy left and we want to feel better. So we come home, we have wine and chocolate on the couch and you know, we're not, we're, we're not looking after ourselves. So in my mind, self-care doesn't, isn't always easy. Be lovely if it was always easy, but it's actually not. You know, it includes things like, you know, going to the dentist. And for me, I go, oh, I hate going to the dentist. But it is part of caring for your body and your mind. Yeah. One of the things that can feel really overwhelming as a business owner is keeping up with social media marketing. It's a hungry beast which needs to be fed a whole bunch of content to keep your marketing and your business top of mind or in social media terms, at the top of the feed. Not only does it take lots of creative energy to do that, but it also takes lots of time too. 
So to help you with that, I've got a system which has worked really well for me and the women that I've shared it with in the past. It's a system that gives you clarity when it comes to knowing what to post and takes the dreaded overwhelm out of it too. I've also got a list of 50 ideas that you can use when creating posts and also 50 Canva templates to go along with it. But rather than just giving them to you, I want to teach you how to use them effectively to drive your engagement up and to use them in a way which really saves you time. So I'm facilitating a three-day challenge called Save Time on Social Media. It's one hour a day over three days and it's starting on the 3rd of May. I only run this challenge once a year. So if you want to follow this link, go and check out the details. And if it suits you, then go ahead and book yourself a spot. It's donnahan.com forward slash three day challenge. I'm also going to teach you how to schedule your posts in advance so that you can show up on social media consistently and avoid posting on the fly. And I'll give you a hot tip. That is not effective use of your time to be posting on the fly. And another hot tip, If you don't have a social media strategy, it's not an effective way to market your business. So let's change that. Let's give you some tips for saving time on social media. And I'm going to help you to become far more effective with a simple marketing strategy when it comes to your social media. Donahan.com three-day challenge is the link you need to go and find out more. Other things in self-care are things like... um, you know, and this is, I know, you know, you're passionate about is your boundaries, is knowing when you can say no to somebody or an opportunity, because if you don't say no, you'll, you'll burn out. So the idea is that, you know, that's where your capacity exceeds your demands. If you say yes to all the demands around you, you, you have not, you can't possibly give them to, give to everything. So choosing the things that you say yes to, that's part of self-care. Self-care is making sure that you've got enough food in your house. Make, you know, so that you don't get home exhausted and then have to rely on takeaway. Self care can also be self soothing. So, self care can definitely be sitting in a bubble bath and listening to music. That, that will make you feel better. And it certainly will never tip into self harm. So, there are things that are both self care and self soothing. There are things that are just care, like going to the dentist is not at all soothing, but it's care. And, you know, gambling, people, online gambling, I mean, it's it's so prevalent. People do it because it makes them feel better. Um, it's soothing, but it's not care. Yeah. And oh, goodness, there is so much. <laughs> there is so much there. I feel like boundaries is probably one of the first places that you can go to for self-caring in that, like what you were saying is, yes, you can have those self-soothing things, but where's the boundary of where that stops? So it doesn't tip over into the self-harm. But also, yeah, it's like knowing your capacity for what that output is. And especially if you're a mum, if like you were saying, like you're in the business of caring for people, whatever that might be. And as a mum, you are. But also as a business owner, we are as well, you know, in service provision and everything really. And so you know, having those really clear boundaries around, okay, so when I do this particular activity within my business, I know that that uses up a certain amount of energy for me. How many times a week can I do that before I'm going to be so depleted that when I get home or when the kids get home from school, I'm going to have no energy for them. That's going to deplete me even further. And then I'm going to end up drowning myself in a bottle of wine to make myself feel better and have some time to myself when I talk to clients and the things that I've worked for myself in the past with boundaries is always 
asking myself the question, if I say yes to this, what am I also saying no to? It's like that sliding doors thing of going, okay, if I say yes to working later, or if I say yes to doing that extra thing for this client or committing to doing this extra thing after school with the kids, what am I therefore saying no to? And sometimes it can be as simple as, well, I'm saying no to putting my kids to bed that night. In my core values, what's more important? And in this season of life, what's more important? And that really helps. And then the other thing too, is if that's still quite unclear, if it's a really great opportunity, then I'm like, oh, but I really want to do that. Then I'll assess it out of 10 and I'll go, okay, so if I say yes, out of 10, what's the benefit to me? And also what's the negative benefit that will, well, not the negative benefit, but what's the negative that will come of that? What's the loss? Yeah, that's the word. And that works out really well um, with setting those boundaries. But the other thing I do as well, when you were talking about making sure there's enough food in the house and all that kind of stuff, is I always try and think of, well, what can I do to help my future self? Yes. You know, and oh my gosh, has that served me well? Just that it's almost like a mantra, you know, when you're like, oh, I can't be bothered going shopping. Yeah, but look after your future self. You'll appreciate you in two days time when there's nothing left in the cupboard and you're like scratching around and eating crap. And yeah, it served, it has served me really, really well. Just that saying. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's probably the definition of care. Self-care is doing things that serve both your present and your future self. And one of the things that we do is sometimes, for whatever reason, our present self makes decisions that perhaps are not in our best interest. And then what happens a couple of days later is that present self then berates past self for being an idiot and says, why did you do that? I can't believe it. And so again, it's that that's where your self-compassion comes in and you speak, you know, understanding that present self is often in survival mode and makes decisions at in that moment. So when you self when you reflect and think, I wish I didn't do that, you go, okay, well, that situation's likely to come up again. What will I do next time? It's and this is, I mean, the thing I love, this is what's so strange, is that business and weight management, they use the same techniques, which is why, I mean, it's like, it would be like a business. If somebody said to you in business, look, here's a two week business plan, follow this. And you know, you'll make a million bucks. Like it's just rubbish. And it's the same that happens with meal plans. For example, they can be a tool, but they're not, they're not the only thing because our brains are so complex and that past, present and future self is so important to embrace all parts of us. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think, um, and I'm sure that you talk to your people about this, the idea that you could, if you formulate your boundaries in advance, like just have really clear definitions on what you will and you won't say no to or yes to because you will get pushback. Because at the end of the day, every single person is just trying in many ways to help themselves. So if somebody says no to them, and you know, we see this with kids, if you're parenting, you say no, they, they push on it. They go, and, and it, they might even kind of whittle you down if you're tired or if you're unprepared or if you weren't sure. And, you know, we, as part of weight management, we will talk to people about boundaries on what they're prepared to eat and not prepared to eat and make that plan in the future. But I, you know, I love this story that I tell about my daughter one day. She she loves to just push the boundaries. She's 16 at the time. And she just said to me one day, Mum, can I ride my bike to the shops without my helmet? And 
no. <laughs> and I just go, no. And that was the end of the discussion. It was a very firm boundary. There was no negotiating. There wasn't any, even if she begged me, there was no way I was going to change because it's so obvious. Sometimes people get cross that people push on their boundaries. How very dare they, you know, ask me that? Like, how ridiculous. It's not their job not to ask or to push on the boundary. It's our job to uphold them. So when we spend our time getting angry that people have even dared to ask, that people have even, you know, imagine, you know, our stories in our head can be things like, I can't believe they sent me a text, you know, 11 o'clock at night. I'm just not available then. That's fine. They can send the text. It's not, it's your job to just not respond, to wait till the morning or to have an autoresponder on or or whatever. I think that we spend a lot of time wishing people weren't pushing on the boundary rather than just upholding it. Yeah. And further to that as well, I completely agree. It's our responsibility to hold up the boundaries, but it's not our responsibility to manage their reaction to whatever our answer is. That's not our responsibility that's their responsibility of how they choose to react. And and I think when you remove that responsibility from yourself, then it's much easier to say no if that is one of your boundaries that you're upholding. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, you know, you can use all sorts of visual techniques. I think I do love the toddler one. Like the idea is that, you know, you say the toddler wants a green cup and you've given them a blue cup, you know, we've all been there. They absolutely crack it and they're on the ground and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> That's the same thing. You know, when you you say no to somebody, they will sometimes have their adult tantrum and it's not your job to manage that. That's their job. Your job is just to give the green cup. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I do not miss those toddler days. Oh, I know. I'll tell you that. I know. They, they were hard work. <laughs> but you know, every yeah. phase you will have the kids just pushing a little bit just to see, just to see what could I do. And I think sometimes the the difficulty happens when we've got these boundaries that we're not quite confident with. You know, we get worried that maybe somebody won't like us if I don't say yes to them, or maybe I won't get the customer if I don't, you know, bend over backwards for them. And so we have a little bit of fear in there. So as soon as somebody pushes on it, you just crumbles and you go, oh, all right, all right. And, And so being just clear in advance without emotion helps you just hold Firm but fair boundaries. Yeah, and clear is kind as well. Like that's really important to keep in mind as well. And when we're talking about setting these boundaries, something's come up for me because one of the things that so often happens with working mums and mums in business is that we push the working hours well into the early hours of the morning because when the kids are asleep and the household is quiet, we can get work done. And so if you're listening to this and you know that at the moment you're sort of teetering on that burnout, energy levels are starting to run low, maybe a good idea is to look at your working hours and put some firm boundaries into what you will and won't do as far as your working hours. Um, As a starting point, if you know that you're on that journey towards burnout and perhaps give yourself a solid bedtime as well. Um, Because that, like, I know I am just the biggest witch dragon woman ever when I am sleep deprived. And that's something that, that self-reflection, I'm like, ah, yeah, okay. I really need to (laughs) get better sleep, which I've been working on for the past couple of years. Um, But definitely like if you're listening to this today and you know that extending your hours into the night, not getting enough sleep, choosing poor eating habits, you know, start to put some little boundaries for yourself in place. 
to pull that back. Absolutely. And I mean, it's so interesting, the, the sleep thing, because there's there's multiple reasons why humans, particularly women, don't want to go to bed. So I think it's a couple of things. So certainly, you know, if you go back, all, all the stories, all the nursery rhymes, all the fairy tales, going to bed was a punishment. Going to bed early was a punishment. So for our brain, layers and layers and layers of years of subconscious stories, going to bed early is a punishment. And so that doesn't sound fun. We also sometimes think that when everybody else, that's our own time, our client time, and why would I want to waste it going to bed? And the third thing is that it sometimes feels like you're wasting your time, you know, because again, we glorify small sleepers. You know, there's this sleepless elite, they're called, and that, you know, those people that operate on four hours a night are held to be amazing. And so for somebody who needs more, it's like some personal weakness. So one of my techniques for this is because so much goodness happens when we're sleeping. It's not just a waste of time. You're not just lying there with your eyes. Tell us about all the goodness. <laughs> so when we go to sleep, so that's when our brain will process memories. So thoughts that have happened during the day, so input gets processed while we're asleep. And it actually takes about eight hours to process 16 hours of information. So when we deny our brain the eight hours and only give it six, we've got an extra two hours of data to process and much less time to do it. So then we become less efficient as we go on, which is why people go, I can't remember any of that. It's because you didn't allow your brain to really just cement it while you were sleeping. The other thing that happens while you're sleeping is that if you've got, so we, you know, your body repairs, so DNA repairs, muscles repair, any injuries that you've got require sleep for them to repair. There's lots of things that go on in weight loss world where people that uh, have less sleep develop something called insulin resistance. Insulin is our major fat storing hormone. So you have higher insulin, you're more likely to put on weight if you've only slept. And that the sleep is, is six hours is considered sleep deprivation. So it's not like people are only getting four hours a night, it's six hours regularly. And the fourth thing that happens is our hormone we have a hormone, fancy hormone called ghrelin, which is our hunger hormone. It goes up if you're sleep deprived. So you, when people go, I'm tired and hungry, they are. Like you are more hungry. It's so if you want to be able to work with your body, you need to rest it. Yeah, sleep isn't the number one. That's what it sounds like. It totally it's is. So one. my bed is not my bed anymore. It is my rejuvenation palace. Oh. <laughs> and I go there to rejuvenate. Yes. So, and I think, isn't that amazing? You can do all these wonderful things. It's free. There's no side effects. It's easy, but you've actually got to go to bed. So humans are the only mammalian species to voluntarily restrict our sleep. So interesting. Why do we do that? Because of those stories. Sleep's a punishment. It's a waste of time. I should be doing more. Resting's not actually useful. And for a lot of people, they think resting is lazy. Yeah. Do you know, like that is something when I talk about self-care, there is usually always somebody that goes, but I always just feel selfish. I feel like I feel guilty when I rest and I'm not necessarily talking about sleep. I'm talking, you know, about just taking a pause and resting and just chilling out. And it's changing that conditioning, I guess, that we've had over our whole lives to be like, well, no, it's not selfish. It's actually really essential as a human being, we deserve that. And that's just part of what we need, like fueling a car, you know? Language is important. I think um, lots of people refer to, say, they'll talk about a lazy Sunday morning, which is maybe is a slower Sunday morning. 
or a restful Sunday morning. But when you go lazy Sunday morning, lazy, lazy, you know, no one wants to be lazy. Like lazy is like a, you know, it's a one of the sins of uh, what is it, sloth and gluttony. So we call ourselves lazy. It t- it sends a really you know negative message to our all of ourselves. Rest is best, and you know it's really it's not it's not rest it's not resting. It's actually recharging. You know, you can't, you, we all, we've all had times where our mobiles have died because we didn't recharge them. We're just the same. Oh, I love that. Just such a simple, isn't it? When you put it in that way, it's so simple. It makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't we be doing that for ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that it would be okay just, it's a massive topic. So maybe it's something we could do another podcast on. But something that's been on my mind recently, I'm 40 this year, and I know a lot of the ladies that listen to this are kind of in their 30s, 40s and beyond. And so it's something that I guess you start to think about is weight gain and perimenopausal stuff. Like, I, And I am like, this is not something that I've really dug into yet, but it started to kind of come up on my radar for me. I'm like, okay, So what I used to do doesn't kind of work anymore. If I'm wanting to shed a few kilos, I'm noticing that my body is changing shape from what it was, you know, like it changes when you become a mum, but now it's changing again and, and all of that kind of stuff. And also talking about sleep before, I have a really busy monkey brain that seems to fire up when I lie down to go to sleep. But I've also been, I was talking to a friend the other day about, um, about sleep. And she's like, you know, that's kind of perimenopausal stuff too. I'm like, oh my God, I've got this whole, (laughs) what is this whole thing I've got to learn? Can you just give us a little bit about what we should be aware of? Or I don't even know where to start on this topic. That's all right. Yeah, it is a massive topic, but the way I like to describe it is it it all relates to, when we talk about hormones, most people think of the the female hormones, estrogen and progesterone. we actually have hormones for everything. Everything in our body runs on hormones. So we have our metabolic hormones, which are the things that that our hunger is hormonally driven by ghrelin that I mentioned earlier. Satiety, which is our fullness, is signaled by a hormone called leptin. Our thyroid runs on hormones. Everything in our body runs on hormones and they all interact like an orchestra. So if one is out, then, you know, your orchestra sounds bad. (laughs) And one might be out and there's a flow on effect. So for as women get older and and men too, but I'll just focus on women for the moment. One of the things that happens for a lot of us is our insulin levels start to rise. So insulin is our hormone that is involved. It's our major metabolic hormone. It's involved in our glucose, moving glucose from our blood into our muscles for our energy. Now, it's a wonderful thing to do. Because if you leave your glucose in your blood, if it's too high, that's that's type 2 diabetes. Or for lots of us maybe who've had gestational diabetes, it's all to do with blood glucose levels. So insulin is a really important hormone. But like lots of things, when we've got too much of anything, it's unhelpful. So for a lot of us, as we get a bit older, we just start making a little bit more insulin every year to do the same job. And insulin, as I mentioned earlier, is actually also a fat storing hormone. So if you imagine you've got high levels of a fat storing hormone, you may eat the same food that you ate when you were 25. And now that you're 48, it, you suddenly think, God, every time I eat that, I just seem to get fatter and fatter or put on weight or whatever. I'm just, and we hear it all the time. People go, oh, I just look at 
I just look at cake and I'm I'm fat. And it's like, yeah, it's obviously an exaggeration, but it is um, the quality of your food changes the hormonal responses. So our food is made up of fat, carbohydrate, and protein, and they elicit different hormonal responses in our body. So when people just rely on calorie counting, it, it's not enough. And in fact, it can be harmful. So backbone of the dieting industry has been calorie counting. And that's for most of us, that's what we, well, certainly for me, I often, in my bio, I often write, you know, expert yo-yo dieter, because for so many years, that's what I did. 10 kilos off, 12 kilos on, 15 kilos off, 20 kilos on. And to the point where I, you know, in my later 40s, so I'm 53 now, but when I was in my late 40s, I, yeah, developed pre-diabetes. And had I continued on my merry path, I would have had diabetes. So um, we know that they're hormones. I mean, if you think about pregnancy as a beautiful example, when we're pregnant, we're often eating the same amount. I mean, this whole eating for two business is actually a bit of a myth. Most of us eat the same amount of food, but our body stores fat and it's normal because it's getting ready to, you know, make breast milk when the baby's born in case we're, you know, faced with an apocalypse of no food. There is always enough fuel then to make milk to feed the baby. So our bodies are incredibly clever. Um, but as we get older, we definitely tend to um, store more fat. So it is a physiological process, which is just a fancy name for hormonal. And I think that the key, a bit like business, the key is understanding. So the physiology of business, I guess, is having the tools like you mentioned, but also understanding your mind, understanding the stories in your head. So a lot of people come and they'll say to me, Lucy, I know what to do. I just can't do it. I just keep failing. I keep making mistakes. It's very similar to business. It's understanding, unpacking your brain so that you can do the things you want to do. And it is that interesting thing, isn't it? That why do we do the things we do when we know the things that we know? Yeah, because it's stories. There's this concept I love called reasonable stories. Your brain comes up with stories that seem reasonable. They're not true, but they could be. And so you believe them. They're not ridiculous stories. If they're ridiculous, we can dismiss those. No, it comes up with reasonable. And, you know, my favourite reasonable story that my brain always says to me is just have a little bit, just have one, just have one. And I've really just reminded myself that actually when I have one, I will often eat the whole packet. So one Tim Tam, is, I can't do one Tim Tam. It doesn't work for me. There are lots of people that it, it does, but for me it's one is too many and a thousand is never enough. So it really is about understanding you as your own individual person and what your, I guess, not triggers, but like what your stories what your boundaries, are. Like yeah, your stories, stories and your boundaries. boundaries. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like business, weight loss is a personal development journey. It's understanding and, and doing little, you know, you can do experiments. Nothing is a failure. Everything is a learning opportunity. And I know that sounds, you know, people going, oh my God, I can't believe she's saying that. It's absolutely true. It is true, yeah. Absolutely true. But it's also having someone, and again, this is why people have business coaches like you, Donna, because you can help people unpack that, you know, air quotes failure and say, well, hang on, what what, what could I do differently next time? Sometimes when you're in the wood, in the thick of it all, you can't actually see that. Yeah, and that's right. And that's where you need someone like yourself or, you know, a business coach where, um you can kind of be lifted out of that and go, but hang on, let's have a look at the bird's eye view of what's really going on here. 
um, which is in our chat today. Like there has been so many moments where you've done that and it's like, yeah, that makes so much sense. And, you know, and that's, that's really what it's all about. So you have been amazing in sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with us, but in such a great way that's easy to understand and also doesn't evoke any kind of like negative feelings of shame or, um, you know, which is sometimes when we're talking about these sensitive things, though that can rise up in us even more. And so I'm just so grateful to you in being here and chatting with me and sharing all of your your wisdom and knowledge in exploring the healthy way. Yeah, thank you. Of tackling this stuff. Uh, mm. I, it is, it's, and it is a little fine line to tread because you're right, there is a lot of shame and stigma. But honestly, for me, I just look particularly at women who, you know, who have had weight problems. They are the most marginalised, judged group in our society and it's wrong, you know, it's wrong to, it's just unhelpful. And so for them, and again, we didn't even really get into the whole bit of, of self-worth, but for them to understand that, that they're absolutely worth it. And, you know, our favourite line is that you cannot hate yourself thin and you can't berate yourself well. Weight loss is really a journey of self-love. Yeah. It totally it is. And I think that that also correlates to being in business for yourself as well, is that you've, you've got to, you know, what we talked about at the beginning in, you know, knowing where you are in your journey at the moment. And if you're feeling like you're on that path of burnout, if you know that the wheels are wobbling, don't be ashamed to, you know, express how that's feeling for you and to take a moment to understand where you're at on that journey and um, reach out for help if you need it or stop what you're doing and rest for a while and recoup and figure out well, what's working, what's not working, what should I be doing more of and what should I be doing less of? And that goes for business and it goes for weight loss too. And I think that it's been a really interesting <laughs> chat that we've been able to like bring those two subjects together, but it really does when you dig into it and you unpack it. Um, so many correlations. So many correlations. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Certainly getting the right advice, as you said, number one for business. You know, there's lots of people who've been led down the garden path by charlatan people and working with someone who you trust is is just imperative. So yes, I'm sure that your, um, that your people, you know, trust you immensely because you're, you're very authentic. Oh, thank you. That's really lovely of you. Thank you, Lucy. So um, if people want to discover more about the programs that you offer and get more information about what we've talked about today and maybe, you know, there's so much that I know that you do, what's the best way that they can either get in contact with you or learn more about? Yeah. So um, our business name is Real Life Medicine. Our website is RL Medicine. Somebody else had stolen the real life bit. So it's just (laughs) rlmedicine.com. No.au, just a .com. Um, we have lots of free resources on there um, and particularly one on, you know, that hormonal process that we were talking about, the hormonal process of obesity. So they can download it and read it. And I have a lovely analogy, a story that I talk about using a woodshed analogy and makes it really clear. So, yeah. Okay, great. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to go check that out as well. And maybe we might have to do another podcast and really kind of dig into the whole, you know, hormonal cycle side of things with women. Cause I, that's another whole thing that can totally. Yeah. 
Totally. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been amazing. um, And I can't wait to share more of what what we do together in the future. Oh, wonderful. Well, Donna, thank you very much for inviting me on. It's been an honour. Make sure you check out the show notes for anything extra I talked about today. If you liked the episode, make sure you subscribe and I'd love it if you left me a review. Even better, share it with a friend because what I really want is to help women in business feel supported on their business journey. Share it on socials, tag me so that I can give your business a shout out too.